You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Screener Squad. We've got a good Pixar film lined up today called Turning Red. It's about a 13-year-old girl named Maymay. And she finds out she has like this mystic ability to turn into a panda whenever she gets super emotional about anything. It's a good movie about emotions, expectations, parental pressures, but I'm getting ahead of myself. My name is Chad Halverson. Today we have Trevor. Hello, everybody. Sarah. Hey there. And Shaq. What's up? What's up? I have so many things to say about this, especially considering this movie takes place like 20 minutes from my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then kick us off, Shaq. Yeah, this is this movie takes place in Toronto, like more specifically in Chinatown. And so much of this to me was just a love letter to the city. I know you guys may be familiar with a, uh, I'm forgetting this director's name. Domi Shi. She did uh, the short. With the little uh, bow, with the little yeah, dumpling. Bow, wow, which yeah. is a- another wonderful short. I love um, that short. This movie is so just jam-packed with like little in-references to the city, down to like the Daisy Mart, um, <laughs> little like production, like logos of like Canadian studios and stuff. There's a Blue Jay at the end of the movie. The whole third act takes place... I like I, I won't spoil what happens, but like it takes place in, a sky, in the Sky Dome. It's been renamed since, but... Anybody from Toronto still calls it the Sky Dome because we're fucking stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool that you mentioned that it takes place in Chinatown in Toronto because the art direction on this is very heavily influenced by that area. Mei Mei's house and her room, the temple that her and her parents work at. It's really cool juxtaposition. Like I've only been to Toronto once and I never went to Chinatown when I was there. But having like that style of uh, Chinese architecture overlaid with the city in the background look really beautiful. Well, and I think it speaks thematically to to the movie itself. It's the old guard versus the new kids who are up and coming and, and finding themselves. You know, I'm going to come right out of the gate and say I, I liked this movie. I'll, I'll even go so far as to say I really liked this movie. I don't know if I loved it. I don't know if this is the, the top tier of Pixar for me. But I also have this instinct to like really rush in and and defend it and give it a really solid review for some of the just political blowback it's gotten in the past few days. Um, oh, great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- there is a, a coming of age element to this. And I, I'm going to say that that this whole thing is love letter to growing up, to being of a certain age. And I think some of that the media has chosen to focus on and others of it, they're they're kind of conveniently overlooking but yeah this is a wonderful coming of age story from pixar it was adorable my seven-year-old daughter enjoyed the hell out of it um yeah my four-year-old liked it too yeah and so uh, i 
woke up the next morning and she was already watching it again. So that's <laughs> that's the stamp of approval in this household. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the core group of girls because it, <laughs> it, it follows tropes of like, you know, each girl has their own personality. But I felt like all the personalities at times were so perfect for each other, but then they couldn't be more opposite at certain points. Oh, they cracked me up. Like, it helps that all of them are genuinely likable. I know that some people might not be as fan of them because they're very, like, they're they're very much tweens. Like, they act <laughs> like the typical tweens where they're, like, obsessed with the boy band and all that stuff. They're a very high energy. But, like, each of them has their own individual charm that, like, I fell in love with immediately. Like, I believe Abby was the one who's, like, the one who's the most crazy of the bunch. <laughs> like, <laughs> Abby was going to stab a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For real. <laughs> she was great though i uh i loved uh priya like just deadpan like nothing phases her except when she sees the boy band she's just <laughs> like, she sees the boy band she's still like doing gaga eyes but like somehow deadpan gaga eyes is a thing <laughs> that can happen uh i watched it this morning with my 11 year old son and he really liked it too. I mean, I don't think he loved it, but he said he was had a tear at the end, so you know he got a little emotional. But I, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, I agree. It, it wasn't my favorite of all the Pixar's. I really enjoyed it, but I don't think like in the whole grand scheme of things, this movie isn't a hundred percent for me. And. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, somebody that doesn't look like me, but looks like more like these characters in this movie, likes it a hell of a lot more than I like The Incredibles or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But again, it's, I liked it just for the, you know, culture diversity in it. Not only is it Canadian, but, you know, Chinese Canadians. And I don't know what the political blowback has been this weekend. I could assume things, uh, if anybody wants you know, to the main character, you know, being a, of a certain demographic. Yeah. It has to do with the fact that there comes a time in uh, some people's lives when they have to deal with their changing bodies. No way. Really? Oh yeah. 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 And people are saying <sighs> that, you know, this, this is the menstruation movie and that the panda is strictly a literary device to uh, discuss menstruation. And I'll even go so far as to say, yeah, it does. But it also means so much more on top of that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's about growing up in general and folks, I don't know what to say. You, you guys know your level of involvement, where your morality lies, how comfortable you are talking about uh, the biology of the human body. But I think it is perfectly fine to have a movie about a 13 year old, dealing with problems that a 13 year old faces in real life and have that be projected towards a 13 year old audience. I think that's entirely appropriate. It's not up to Disney to hold that space for you. If your barometer lies elsewhere. Well put, let's talk about some of the actors we have here. Yeah. There's someone we haven't brought up. Who's like essentially one of the biggest catalysts of this movie, which is a uh, May's mother played by Sandra O. Oh. And as the child of an immigrant woman, a lot of this stuff happened. I related to on a very uncomfortable level of just like <laughs> sli slightly overbearing of like the expectations, all that type of shit. Even again, not the Chinese ancestry. So some of it is very specific, which I loved and appreciated, but there's so much of this. That I can go like, 
that I could see my mom in that. I could see my aunts and uncles in this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You could see your mom like creeping up at your elementary school and the security guard has to kick her Slightly, out. Slightly, yes. <laughs> she wouldn't be she wouldn't be as abrasive about it, but yes. <laughs> God, that would be so mortifying. I mean, you know, my mom never put those kind of expectations on me, so I don't relate it to it in that level. She was like, you know, you're on your not you're on your own, but I mean you have to deal with the consequences. So if you don't study and you get an F, that's on you. But I was always the kind of person who, like May May, I wanted to get 100% in everything. I wanted, you know, I was teacher's pet. So I put that stuff on myself. But I absolutely related to it in a, you know, of course, I'm an old now, but I, I was a 13-year-old girl. And, you know, my boy band was uh, Duran Duran. Not really boys necessarily, <laughs> but you know, but boy, I hope those girls trying to go to uh, what is it, Four Town? Is that Four Town <laughs> yeah, with, with, with five, with five, five singers? Five yeah. One thing I got to say about um, uh, Four Town is that one of the members is named Robert, <laughs> and the way <laughs> yeah. they spelled it is the most like pretentious way they could have spelled it instead of just like robert it's like r-o-b-a-i-r-e like he's a refrigerator (laughs) (laughs) i saw online that the songs for four town were billy eilish her and her brother wrote them which i yeah i didn't didn't realize there was a lot of billy eilish until the credits yeah yeah he um because uh yeah her brother phineas plays i believe it's jesse at least from what yeah, I see in the credits, yeah. That also that song is really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to say this does take place kind of weirdly. I, I was trying to figure out why it takes place in 2002, other than the fact that 2002 is a little cl- closer to the Backstreet Boys in sync era of boy band. Yeah, I think maybe the writer or, or the director. Um, that's when maybe she was 13 and going through that probably Maybe? that's that's a, that's a great assumption that's what it, I thought. yeah and it doesn't take away from the movie that's not a criticism it was just kind of something i was sitting back on huh 2002 what an oddly specific time she was born in 1989 so that makes sense you know i'll t- i'll tell you why it's <laughs> this movie takes place in 2002 because if this took place now toronto would be filled with nothing but condos because that's what it is now <laughs> like oh. the thing about this movie and like i think about this and i think the same way i think about scott pilgrim is that they're both love letters to a version of toronto that doesn't exist anymore like as much as i do love this city there's so much of it that i genuinely don't like and that bothers me and i feel like it's losing its identity at least recently because of just you know money and shit like that but like this, seeing just so much of this in of the city that I love in this way, especially in a way that's so colorful and animated and well designed, I yeah no I I fell in love with all, everything that was happening on screen, and I have to say the animation, uh, especially when May becomes a panda, that shit is so adorable, dude. <laughs> You could see uh, how yeah. fluffy she was. Like you could. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> the fur was incredible. Yeah, I, I wanted a hug. I would have paid money to hug her. Absolutely. Or when she's I, trying I, to I, calm down and she's got a brush on either cheek, yeah, and she's just fluffing yes. herself out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Her her different ways of coping with whatever she was going through. Because at first. She poofs, turns into a panda, and she freaks out, obviously, which only exacerbates her emotions more. Eventually, she finds out that 
if she just calms herself and kind of finds like an inner peace, she can kind of like control it almost like the Hulk. It's a cool uh, little twist uh, by the time you get to the third act. And they, they kind of telegraph it in. There's a big figurative and uh, literal battle between her and her mother. <laughs> it has to do with a lot of things. You know, her mom's overbearing, you know, expects nothing but perfection. But that's also what her mom gave her growing up. The same thing's been happening in this family forever. Something's got to break. Break that cycle. Yeah. I also appreciate that, like, the generational trauma. <laughs> the entire time, you see, Ming, uh, like, Ming Lee, uh, Sandra O's oh's character, as just, like, yeah, this domineering force, and you're thinking, oh, nothing can phase her. But as soon as Grandma comes on the yeah. phone, just fear. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> also, I went to go figure out who played the Grandma, and it's uh, Wei Ching Ho, who was Madame Gao in the Netflix Marvel flicks. Oh, in the she Daredevil and the Defenders and everything. Mr. Gao in this is James Hong, Mr. David Lopan from Big Trouble Little China Who's and in like everything. a million other movies. I just watched him in um, Everything Everywhere at Once. Thank you. I can never remember that title. Yeah, he was just in that. So I saw that uh, Friday night, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah, I really want to see that. <sighs> it's incredible. He's a he's a Midwesterner. He's from Minnesota. So I always love I always love me some James Hong. Yeah. He's in every movie ever made, pretty much. Yes. Like, you look at his filmography, like, he might as well have been. It's like 446 credits, I think. I mean, it's insane. When Hollywood only makes movies with white people for so many years, and they're like, <laughs> well, hey, there's this one Asian guy we know. He can play all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and no offense to James Hong, like, I love his work, but rolling back into this film, a good momentum that I like and what I like to do in my art is have different voices uh which normally means just having people that aren't white i'm not even from toronto nor am i uh, chinese canadian but this represented it in such a way that i found it fascinating and i've been to other uh chinatowns in different cities but this one stood out as different than the other ones i visited again i think that just goes back to the art direction and the director really wanting to encapsulate you know her childhood <laughs> i could not agree more i feel like i genuinely might have liked this the most out of the four of us um this is one of those movies where the cultural specificity of it combined with just the great writing great animation and genuine heart like this is to me like the pixar movie i've enjoyed the most since coco like i love the hell out of this um I literally, this is a movie I would genuinely recommend to pretty much anyone, especially yeah, if you're if you're there in Tor if you're from Toronto or at least am aware of just like certain things that just gives like an extra little bonus. I'm so excited for anything Domi she does after this. Yeah, I got to give this like nine TTC Metro passes out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. I haven't seen a lot of the latest Pixar's, and I wouldn't say it was like as great as like Toy Story two because I, I love that one a lot. It doesn't reach those levels for me, but I did really enjoy it. And I did relate because again, I have been a 13 year old girl going through puberty. I mean, you know, it's a, oh, it's a horrible time. You hate your mom, you know, you hate yourself, you hate your body, you hate everything. Anyway, so I'm going to give this, um, I'm going to give it actually eight Tamagotchis out of 10. So I said earlier, this is a mid-tier Pixar movie for me. <clears throat> One has to contextualize, though, that a mid-tier Pixar movie is still 
a fantastic film in the grander scheme of things. This was really well done. It was a lot of fun. It was a good crossover hit in the house. I enjoyed myself. My daughter enjoyed herself. Uh, when my partner watched it with my daughter, she enjoyed herself. We did have a little discussion afterwards that we felt that some of the dialogue between the mother and the daughter was a little toxic and maybe that wasn't necessarily resolved to our liking. But that's such a personal quibble. I, I, I hesitate to bring it up. Overall, this was delightful. This was fun. I loved how Canadian it was. I love the the color palette of the red panda against a Canadian flag. Just the overall look of this. It's realistic, but it's also got a whimsy to it that I love. And uh, Pixar knows how to do that real well. But really, the star of this show is the red panda that just you're going to see hundreds of these flying off store shelves this year. Uh, just a wonderful marketing opportunity, but just such a lovable character on screen. Uh, so I'm going to give this, uh, I was going to use Tamagotchis, but, uh, Uh, I'm sorry. Oh no, it's okay. I'm (laughs) going to say this is eight out of 10 James Hong movies, uh, that I really enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Trevor, you kind of said like even a mid-tier, low-tier Pixar movie is still like a great movie. And I don't even categorize this one as is. But I, again, I think the ultimate viewer for this will appreciate it one star more than I will, even though I really enjoyed this movie. It's gorgeous. It's a Pixar movie. So the details, they hide shit everywhere. And I still will probably have to watch it three times to, you know, find the pizza shuttle car and this movie was really good i grew up around this time i was a little bit older but and again i wasn't a girl but i do remember feeling awkward and all these emotions growing up while going through puberty it's not fun i don't miss it and i'm (laughs) super scared to uh find out how it's going to affect my daughter so (laughs) but that being said i'll give uh I almost forgot the name of this movie for a second. Turning Red. Red. <laughs> I was going to call it Red Panda. I'm going to give Red Panda. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give Turning Red eight and a half out of ten red hairs all over my carpet. <laughs> I thought you were going to say red herrings, but then again, that in itself is a red herring. So I hate you now. I was going to go faux, like faux out of five towns, but... Not to bring up politics, but really? Yeah. Like, come on. Like, it's 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 a healthcare thing. They're talking it, it, about pads. Yeah. Save the children. Well, also remember there was the review that came out last week of the guy who said, um, you know, it wasn't he didn't say it wasn't for him. He just said it had a limited scope. That guy got roasted so bad. And I'm so glad because, you know. You can say this movie's not for me, and that's fine. But to say it was exhausting and it had a very limited uh, audience is like, no. That's dumb. Well, and to say that it's exhausting because you're not represented on screen is... (gasps) That's that's telling. Yeah. (laughs) What? Exactly. Hey, where were all the white people? I want to speak to this movie's manager. Howdy, podcast listeners. I'm Trevor T. Trujillo. And I'm Matt Foster, and together we co-host the Nighthawks podcast, a movie-centric podcast that covers just about everything. 
big films? Citizen Kane, Casablanca, The Avengers, Star Wars. The films that aren't as big on budget, but we still love. Found Footage 3D, The Big Lebowski. Not to mention films from distant shores. Lone Wolf and Cub, Dearest Sister. Plus we have some great guests like Alamo Drafthouse founder Tim Lee. Episode 7. Doctor Strange writer C. Robert Cargill. Episode 100. Director Steven DiGennaro. Episode 53, episode 100. Or you can listen to any of the over 120 other episodes we have on deck for you. Instant classics. Find us on all good podcatchers. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, Spotify. Or at our website. Nighthawkspodcast.com. Join our cult. Probably not a real cult. It's a real